how was the Easter bonnet? Oh, yeah. So the Bats Cinderella performance was so good. It was called Baddies on Fire. First, the stage is dark. There is an announcer. And he's like, Bats Cinderella in Belleville, where the grass is greener and the buns are hot and et cetera, et cetera. And the people are beautiful. And the reviews are... <laughs> and and then the like different members of the cast just start running on stage and they read excerpts from reviews that trashed them. Oh my god. From the observer, Cinderella's glass slipper, more like a moldy crock. There was like another one that called them a dumpster fire fiasco. Yeah. And then they read another review where they were like, This isn't a Broadway show, this is Chippendales. When she says Chippendales, four hunks just aggressively slide out into the middle of the stage. And then all of a sudden, a dozen people start tap dancing in pink Crocs. Like a full on tap dance. Like they tape shit to the bottom of their Crocs. I don't know. And then the guy who wears the bonnet shows up and the bonnet is a dumpster fire. And then everyone starts singing Girl on Fire, but they sing This Show is on Fire. (laughs) That. It's pretty good. Wow, I wish it was really good. Welcome, everyone, to Bottomless Broadway, where we talk musicals over mimosas. I'm Cindy. Why did you sound so like... <laughs> what? Cause we Are you no about... longer Cindy? Was... <laughs> We're, like, properly in the second half of reviews for this 2023 season, which is yeah. exciting. And you it's know really what? Shocking. I can't believe, like, before we saw this show, New York, New York, we... We're going to skip reviewing Neil Diamond and potentially even skip watching Neil Diamond (laughs) because we wanted to fit in this show. Do you have five words for this show? I do. It's the entire musical is shoehorned. Yeah. Well, okay. I guess before you get into that, mine is fairly similar, which is like a love letter overwrought because they keep saying it's a love letter to New York City. They would go like 10 minutes and then they'd be like... And this could only happen in New York and not anywhere else. And I'm like, obviously, I love New York. I live in New York. But that was just too much New York love for me. I was like, that is not written by real people. That feels like a tourism slogan or something, you know? So my main criticism and the reason for my five words, what it comes down to for me is like they used all these old songs and a couple of new ones with Lynn, obviously. But, you know, in that playlist you sent me like a lot of the songs are old Kander and Ebb songs or even songs from other shows they wrote and the cast album for this show isn't out yet so like I can't really compare the lyrics line for line or anything mm-hmm. but the show kind of feels like watching a revival of a show that shouldn't have been revived because (laughs) it sounds so old school and the content of the songs are really old school Mm -hmm. but like it's a new show 
And it doesn't follow the movie plot very closely at all. They had a lot of potential to like rewrite it and modernize it in a more meaningful way and modernize the songs in a meaningful way. But they didn't. They just threw it together. And it's boring. Like that I'm one of the smart ones. Like I was listening to it and I was really bored. And I'm usually not bored with like feminist ballads, but it's Mm -hmm. just like such a first generation feminism song. Yeah, I think I get what you're talking about. This felt like a show that would have been really popular maybe in like this 50s or something. You know, it like felt like it had that sensibility almost where... They were trying to recreate that kind of show. And part of it, I'm guessing, is because these songs are from much older works. It just doesn't feel like a show that modern audiences would really care about. Yeah. And like we talked about, you know, like how some like it hot was modernized and things that they did well. And with this one, there's things that they tried to do. The female lead is black now and Mm -hmm. there's racism themes in the show but it ultimately doesn't really amount to much and it doesn't even feel like more woke of a show than the movie because like when i was reading the movie plot you know at least she leaves her abusive husband at the end right and here they basically stay together and like yeah he's less abusive but he's still like kind of a loser I didn't even like La La Land that much, but I wanted like a La La Land ending where it was kind of like, oh, they are just meeting for like one, maybe like very quick affair or something. And then they move on because there's a ton of other people in New York that could definitely be better for each of them. But also, I feel like the show really struggled between wanting to follow that love story and just wanting to be vignettes of every single other person in New York. And it didn't really know how to fit all of that together. Yeah. I mean, like, you left the show comparing it to La La Land, and I was comparing it to A Star is Born. And I feel like it's similar to both. And, like, that's how you know it's, like, the clichéest fucking thing ever. (laughs) But let me give a quick summary, which I feel like I'm going to struggle with because I just don't know. Jimmy, our male lead, he was part of the war but didn't actually fight in the war. And his macho brother did and died. So now that the war is over, he is a sad, miserable alcoholic who also is very good at the piano. And he basically like keeps getting gigs at bars, but losing them because he drinks too much and is kind of violent and hot headed and irrational. And at one of these bars that he's working at, he meets um, Francine, who's our female lead. She's a singer. He hears her voice. He's like obsessed with her and then just keeps trying to go out with her, even though she says no but then she says yes so and then they get together but he still like keeps being a fucktard she'll get this really decent job as a singing waitress at that restaurant some like producer guy is eating there and then he ends up talking to her and is like do you want to be in my broadway show and producer guys having her like sing on the radio or whatever and then jimmy out of nowhere asks her to marry him and she says yes i should probably mention jimmy goes to some rundown jazz club where the owner knows him and 
that guy's just like, play something for us. And at this point, he's found all the other characters in this show that I have failed to introduce. (laughs) (laughs) This is so bad. Okay, so Jimmy also has a landlady. And the landlady is this amazing concert pianist who played at Carnegie Hall. She's a violinist. Violinist, sorry. There's like this Russian guy. Russian, right? I hope. Okay, Polish guy. Can't get those mixed up. Actually, can you now? No, no, you can't. They're the good ones. Polish is, Pol- <laughs> Poland is good. Polish people will be so offended. Okay, so Polish guy shows up. He's like, will you teach me? And she more or less says yes. Like, this person's not in the movie, right? None of these other people are. Yeah. And, and like you said, at least the landlady is Jimmy's landlady. So it's like, okay, there is, it's like believable why we are watching this because it's like, in the apartment there's a connection yeah yeah but then we just like go to a fucking random apartment in who knows what neighborhood in new york and there is a gay hispanic guy he has an abusive father and a really pretty mother and he also plays some drums jimmy then meets this veteran jesse he plays the trumpet they met in the army they run into each other again at this like talent agent so jimmy and jesse and mateo all walk into this old jazz club owned by someone that knew jimmy when he was a kid and they play a set and the club fills up everyone's enamored so jimmy out of nowhere even though he's an alcoholic and can barely stay awake is like let me manage your club and then he gets this club (laughs) going hard and it is a popular fucking club and meanwhile his wife is killing on the radio so now we're back to where we were the white producer he hypes her up with this tour and she's so excited about the tour. She tells Jimmy about the tour. And Jimmy is just like, I don't understand why you're leaving New York. We love New York. You're going to go <laughs> literally. He's like, why are you leaving New York to go on this tour till the middle of nowhere? And she's like, it's a tour. I'm getting paid for it. And he's like, yeah, but in the middle of nowhere. So they have a big fight where he randomly starts accusing her of cheating. And then... <laughs> also a song that was written for something else and then she heads back to the studio and turns out her tour is canceled because no one in kentucky wants to see a black woman anyway jimmy meanwhile despite the fact that he's really sad that he thinks his wife is cheating with a racist um gets on like npr or the late show with john oliver it was it's NBC because apparently that was the only network that existed back then. So his band plays there. Like things are just still going well. His club's still blowing up. The show basically like ends with they're getting ready for a big performance at the club that is basically now his. And Francine shows up because like she was going to go to LA because she, you know, no longer has that tour. She like basically separated with Jimmy. But then Jimmy's only decent friend, Tommy Caggiano, who I also forgot to introduce. (laughs) He's like, no, don't go there. You want to stay in (laughs) New York with Jimmy. And she's like, okay. And then she goes to the club and she's like, hey, Jimmy, can I sing at your club? And then she sings New York, New York, and the show's over. I feel like what happened is Kander just pulled out his list of songs that he never used but wanted to. That mentioned New York somewhere. Yeah, pretty much. And it was just like, you know, I think we can write a show out of this. And probably just handed it to the book writers and was just like, figure it out. And then Lima Miranda came on and was like, we're going to add some Hispanic flair to this. 
like that's why I feel like so many random plot points were just for the sake of like a specific song that they wanted to use. I mean, I feel like what they really needed was just an out of town tryout. And I was talking about this to some of my other friends and they were like, maybe they just thought that they couldn't put a musical named New York, New York in any other city. But Chicago's playing here. He's just going around collecting the major cities. Pretty much, yeah. Let's dive in. The first song is Cheering for Me Now, which Mm -hmm. you told me is a Hamill drop. I was like, they used that in the show because that was by far one of the weakest Hamill drops, in my opinion. It's not a great opening number. It's a terrible. I'm such a big Lynn fan. You know, like I like so much of what he writes, almost everything. This was just like, what the fuck happened? (laughs) I thought that this was definitely part of the movie. And the reason is it's really weird because a lot of the cast shows up and then Jimmy Doyle, our male lead, starts singing first and i think they're supposed to be on the subway and it's just like oh like mm-hmm. you can hear this like city cheering for me and i'm just like i don't know you and then the next book scene we find out that he's an alcoholic so i'm like i'm definitely like not cheering for you um right but he sings that and then it just like pans to not even the rest of the main band members that we later get introduced to like, i feel like it pans to some random guy in a briefcase who also sings a verse of cheering for me now and yep. like it just didn't work for like a stage musical i could actually see it in a movie musical where like there's literally this subway and then you kind of move from cart to cart and focus Mm -hmm. in on one person on their way to work. I can kind of see it in a movie musical and it felt so out of place on stage. Yeah, they did change a couple of the lyrics in the original. They said, they're cheering for me now in the streets. Hear them cheering for me now. Jimmy sings in my head. I hear them cheering for me now. He's schizophrenic. (laughs) Um, So I'm like, first of all, I feel like this would work if he was like fresh off the boat new to new york which i don't think is the case here or if you could like you know the general commotion of all the people in new york like maybe at the end of world war ii something like that like some sort of thing that would like prompt yes. this song like why here why now first of all it's a terrible way to introduce us to your characters because we still know nothing about them yeah it's not a good exposition for jimmy at all not only do we know nothing about him i feel like what i assume from him is wrong because his actual character is so different someone that would say they're cheering for me now like honestly his actual character like could not give a fuck who cheers for him they're cheering for me now can you hear them cheering for me now right up broadway they're cheering for me now one day soon all the jobs i have to do will make my dreams come true it starts today Like hundreds before me And millions behind me You know you can find me Here in New York I think the next song is actually pretty solid storytelling. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, this is his friend Tommy. And this is when they first meet Francie. And Tommy has that great line. Yeah. Tommy and Jimmy are both fighting over friends not like fighting but they both meet her they both think she's hot so jimmy and tommy are like introducing themselves kind of like in a funny flirty way to francine tommy is just like this is my buddy jimmy he's irish i'm tommy i'm italian and then he takes off his hat and he's like better food better hair 
And I was just like, he is 100% right. <laughs> Except Colton Ryan has a beautiful head of fucking hair. I believe that Irish people have bad hair just based on, you know, the hairlines of the English people that we talk about. Right. Um, but Colton Ryan has great hair. Major Court, I feel like this is a true non-cliche love song to New York that was fairly enjoyable. I feel like this is the only true like musical theater song in here. <laughs> Oh, really? Actually, no, Happy Endings is pretty solid. But as far as it like doing exposition and or character development and telling a story, like I didn't think it was boring. I think it made sense. I mean, it's kind of an I want song. So I think this was like one of the very few songs that actually fit where it was and actually did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. And so this one starts with like New York's a major chord and then someone mentions Philadelphia and they're like, oh no, no, no. Philly's a minor chord. And I actually like <laughs> had high hopes for the show here, despite how bad mm-hmm. cheering for me now was. Because I was like, yeah. that's a recycled song. Maybe it's gonna get better. Cause I didn't know how many of these other songs were also recycled yet. Right. And I thought the dialogue before Major Chord and during it was very snappy, very witty. I was laughing. I was like, I think this is going to be a good script. But it only lasted for like the first half of the first act. Based on this scene, I was like, wow, Tommy is such a great friend. Like, he's so fun to hang out with. And he's going to (laughs) be such a big part of the show. And man, was I wrong. (laughs) Maybe they could have fixed the script if they just made Tommy a main character. Also, like, because I had not seen the movie before when Francine's like, oh, Jimmy, I can't date you. Black people and Irish people, we don't mix. I just assumed for some reason, I don't know why, in the movie, she was also black and he was Irish. And I was just like, okay, like, you know, they're just stating facts. But then I found out that she wasn't black in the movie. So it truly feels like one of the book writers really liked Paradise Square. <laughs> So the way this show is done, all the transition scenes are very like dancey transition. They have different small segments of scenes of random other New Yorkers, and they don't really tell a full story, but they're just there to dance a story while the set is changing. And so yeah. like one of them, there's like a cluster of people and you can tell they like see a rat or something. And then another, there's like a couple who are kind of flirting through dance. I didn't hate them. And this goes back to when I was saying that I felt like the show couldn't decide if it just wanted to be a series of vignettes because I feel like this really would have played into that a lot better. But this just seemed like so random since we had very specific main characters that it was obvious they were our main characters. But on their own, I thought they were actually pretty fun. I really liked some of them too. Later in the show, there's like a rainy season one and those raincoats were stunning. They were like (laughs) translucent but glowing. The whole show feels like an expensive production. Like there is a huge production value in this. They have a bunch of sets and they have a huge cast. They have a pretty big orchestra And it's obvious that they have like a very big budget for this show, but it's still a pretty (laughs) poorly written show. So we'll see how far that budget takes them, I guess. Yeah. So far, everything seems coherent, at least. But then (laughs) we start going through this cut screen style intro to the rest of our characters. And it gets a little hard to follow. So the next song we have is Better Than Before, which is sung by Jimmy's landlord. And she's basically singing about it to her son, but her son's not there. Well, she is technically writing a letter because she doesn't know that he's dead yet. So she's just like, come home. Our neighborhood was not 
the brightest place in the world during the war but now the war is over things are looking up that deli we used to like just open back up again there's new stores and shops and neighborhoods and everything's better than before and you immediately know her son's dead everyone else has been back for like over a year and she's just like oh he'll be back soon i don't know if this was like a good song for listening but it pretty much told us all we need to know about her yeah and i think it set the scene well in terms of like she did start talking about how people would like talk to each other on the streets like it is a little bit more new york descriptive i don't think this is the worst song in the show by far and she apologizes so. for like not being there enough when he was young in this song too right Right. Yeah. Because she's like, oh, you know, when I was younger, like we didn't get to spend time together. But now, you know, once you get back, we'll have all the rest of our lives. And like, that's when you know for sure that her son is dead. (laughs) The book scene after this is Alex Mann, our aspiring violinist, shows up, begs her for classes. She's like, you can't afford them. But then like he comes back and she accepts it anyway. It's very clear right off the bat that this is probably going to be her new son soon. <laughs> yeah, and this was still the point where we were like, okay, kind of a new storyline, but still works because they're all related in some fashion. When I had read some of the early reactions to the show, a lot of people who didn't like it said that there were too many storylines, which I now know is true. But I was like, they also said the same about Jagged Little Pill, and I didn't have an issue with that. We so maybe it's the that. same people. I think what Jaggy Little Pill did well was they tied it all back to the same family. Like, bookends the family with two Christmas card letter things. I mean, I remember one of the smart ones now, but I really forgot about it during the show because I thought that we went from introducing the landlady straight to introducing Mateo. I did too, for some reason. I was like, all right, we're meeting this new violinist guy, and then we're just smash cutting to this Cuban guy. Or maybe they And that is not true. They could have. Maybe they did. Yeah. Like the playbill could be wrong because, like, it was still in previews. Francine is like chilling at a newsstand. She's looking for the newspaper to find the classifieds to find a job. So she's basically just like, I'm going to be a singer. I have so much ambition. I'm going to be no one's housewife. I'm not going to be doing dishes ever in my life. I mean, like, yeah, that sounds good, but it really feels like the feminist song of a 60s, 70s show. It's Mm -hmm. this very straightforward, one-dimensional feminism. It's like, if this is a revival, I think I would totally accept it. Mm -hmm. But it's a new musical, and it's just really, really boring because everything she says is very predictable. It's just like, I'm not going to be a housewife. I'm not going to cook and clean. I just was bored because we've heard this a million times. And honestly, in today's world everyone should just do their own dishes you know we love feminist people who have ambition but also can take care of themselves and do laundry right the newsstand guy was like oh there's this job here it's super easy it's just domestic housework and she was like no fucking way i'm not gonna be stuck in a job where i do housework i'm gonna i came here to sing and that's what i'm gonna do which is like understandable on one hand but on the other hand i'm like girl i don't know how much money you have we mentioned this is like a pre-existing song which probably explains why it feels dated it was from the show golden gate which i don't think ever actually made it to existence is that like a san francisco reference so he's really collecting cities (laughs) like really you won't Broken down flat, commanded an army of brats. Now me, 
And then we get gold, which is when we get introduced to Mateo and his mother, Sophia. And he just comes home. They have like a small little argument about how he dresses or acts or whatever. And he's like, Ma, like, how can you like forget about the glamour of your youth? And then he talks about how his mom used to have this really sexy gold dress, I guess. And that's why the song is called Gold. And immediately we're like, this is a Lynn song. Like, yeah. I'm not going to call him a one-trick pony because plenty of white people only write white people shit. And it's fine. But Lynn is really out there to only write Hispanic shit. When this character got introduced, all of us were like, oh, this wasn't in the movie. This is definitely <laughs> yeah. Lynn. It is a very straightforward storyline, but the way they do it is not very helpful. He is dancing around with her scarf like around his head because he's very obviously gay. He... Uh, also very obviously is an aspiring drummer. His mom will dance with him, but then she'll be like, oh, don't let your father catch you doing that. But then she'll go into this story about how she met his father and his father was like this really hot baseball player for the Cuban League. And that's why she ended up marrying him. But it is also very unclear what her current relationship to his father is right now. Before she was like, don't let him catch you doing that. I thought he was dead. I mean, I didn't think he was dead, but yeah, like most of these characters are not fleshed out. Like Alex Mann, you were saying like he pretty much goes from one lesson where he cries to getting into Juilliard. I was like, wait, did I know that he was trying out for Juilliard? Where is this girl with the sparkling crown? When did the fear make you start looking down? Look all around you, there's sights to behold. probably have i don't even know why it's called wine and peaches but it's probably like okay. the best number it is a really cool dance number and i think the set does like 70 percent of the work for this song but that's yeah. fine when the clouds started dissipating i was like no you've ruined the illusion i don't no, i thought the same anymore <laughs> so this is the um, 30 rock you know tommy's they back when tommy's back things are good you're so right. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy is back. I because Major Chord was good and then now we're here. I don't remember how they get here, but basically they know someone who's like working on the construction site and they're like, why don't you just come on up? The whole set, the backdrop of the set, it's like LEDs that, you know, show you going up and then fog machine starts. So there's clouds below them and you're like, oh my God, they're like on top of a building. They're tap dancing on the beams and um, Jimmy happens to be like really afraid of heights. So the acting here I thought was pretty funny. It's it's a great time. And then when the song ends, they all sit down on the beam and do that like really famous pose that you see on like all of the posters you can buy if you visit Rockefeller where all the construction workers just like felt asleep on that beam but oh back to the reason why it's called wine and peaches it's because jimmy has a date with francine because she finally agreed to go out with him because he showed her a place to live aka his own apartment building and he's like asking for advice or something and all the other men are like wine and peaches are the thing to bring for dessert to like win a girl over and they start singing about that before they just decide to go into a full tap dance number so truly this song had no like story 
heft to it but this is a song that was cut from the rink so it did also exist before like you could remove the song completely and outside of that like wow moment you would be losing nothing yeah which i mean we also said about a lot of songs in some like it hot so that's That's true we have like no songs left in some like it hot (laughs) i know it's a fun song yeah there were so many like threads of plot that were picked up and dropped right after this is where Francine shows up at Jimmy's place and she's picking up takeout and there's literally just a guy that gets shot in front of her I'm like oh no it's some like it hot all over again like she's gonna have to go into witness protection but no (laughs) she just picks up her takeout she goes to Jimmy's place she freaks out a little and then they just have dinner she's like you better eat this I worked hard for this takeout a man died in front of me The next song, I Love Music, happens in Jimmy's apartment on their first weird date in his apartment where she brings him murder takeout. <laughs> I actually did really like this song. I think this was another I highlight did too. of the show. I agree. Also a pre-existing song. It is from a show called Wait For Me World. But Jimmy, again, like musical prodigy. So his apartment just has... He's somehow broke, but he has like 50 instruments. And like, I guess props to Colton Ryan for being able to play all of them because he just like will take down random ones. Like there's a ukulele, there's maybe a banjo, there's the piano, there's like a drum thing. The song is basically like, I like this, this and this, but I love music. And then they start singing it together. It's kind of cute. It's like it works as a romantic scene also because they're really bonding over that because, you know, she's a singer. Okay, well, it starts because like, Francine is still skeptical of him for good reason. And she's kind of like, I don't think we would work out because we don't like the same things. And he's like, that doesn't matter. And he's like, I like chess and I like checkers, but like is one thing and love is another. And I love music. And Francine's like, I love music. And he's like, I know, right? And she's like at the wall, pulling down instruments and just like tossing them at him. And he, she's like, I bet you can't play all these. And he's like, (laughs) I bet I can. That's that's literally what happens. And so I do like this song as a song. Like I like listening to it. I, it really sounds like kind of your old school Sinatra song, but it doesn't really strike a chord with me because you I feel like you can still tell it's reused. Yeah. Jimmy does not seem like this kind of person that likes chess and checkers and long walks on the beach. <laughs> He's just saying all of these things and ending with I love music, but the I love music part is like the only part that makes sense with his character. And I feel like they kind of try to lean into it because Francine is like, really, you, Chess? Like, she has like a line like that. But it's just like, you can really tell that it's reused. I mean, this show is basically a jukebox of old Kander and Ebb songs. And some of them, some of the songs stand out like they do in a jukebox musical. Maybe he wanted to challenge Max Martin, but he lost. (laughs) He's like, I, too, have written a ton of songs. (laughs) I love a big bass drum. I love a slide trombone. I think the trumpet and the flugelhorn are grand. But if you want to see me happy, really see me happy, put them all together in a big brass band. Diamond. 
Diamonds I like and pearls I like, especially on certain pretty girls I like. But liking is one thing and loving is another, and I love music. So the next song is my own music, which I didn't hate. I think you disliked this a lot more than I did. But I did think it was a little bit of a strong move to put this right after I Love Music because they're kind of the same song. They're like in a little alley. Like Mateo is like playing Hispanic music on the street. This white guy that probably owns a business in the area is like, stop with that Hispanic music. I don't want to listen to you play your Spanish drums. And Mateo is just like, no, like music's all the same. And then he gets some other minorities chilling on the streets Mm -hmm. to start singing and dancing with him. And he plays his little drums. Oh, because Mateo's like, no, I need to be a drummer. I'm here for a dream. And Jesse's like, we all have dreams. And he starts pulling out a trumpet out of nowhere. And then he like, you know, points all the other people and like, what did you come here for? And like one girl is like, I want to be Ginger Rogers. And another girl's like, I want to be a fashion designer. And that's like where Jesse comes in. So then they all just talk about how like whatever they're doing now is not their true like dream job. I thought it was a fun number because of how it sort of brought a bunch of other people who we will basically never see again into the um, number. (laughs) I was bored because like we have no fleshed out characters at this point and then we like hear the fucking life dreams of like 12 other people and each of them just give us one line and it's all fairly predictable. Like it's not like fun and quirky like I've got a dream entangled. It's just like oh you're in New York and half of these people want to be in the entertainment industry and the other half want to be in the fashion industry. I just didn't think the whole dancing in the alley thing was that inspired either. It really felt like it's too darn hot, but with actual words, but worse. (laughs) It does also just kind of go on for too long. Like we are spending valuable time in a already like it's a two and a half hour show. This is like where the show really lost to me because like <laughs> the beginning of the book was good. There were a couple good songs. There were a couple bad songs, but I was like giving it the benefit of the doubt. And then I feel like I really tuned out here and then nothing was good again. Same music, different accent. And then we get into the fall. This was all during the summer. Fall starts with Francine got the singing waitress drop that they teased in I'm One of the Smart Ones. And the song that she performs as a singing waitress is I'm What's Happening Now. And then, you know, the guy that needs an extra fork or napkin or whatever is just like yelling over her. No one's helping him get his. I mean, he's a rude customer. He gets exasperated and he's like, really? She's what's happening now? Like, I need my fucking fork. This is when Jimmy shows up and then punches him. And then Francine chases him out and yells at him. And then that's also when Gordon Kendrick, the theater producer, shows up and was like, Oh my God, you were so good. Let me offer you an ensemble role in my show where you will have one speaking line. And she was like, you know what? It's better than this. And then we get the transition scene with the beautiful umbrellas, 
Which yeah, I, it was very Mary Poppins. There was like umbrellas flying. It was. It's <laughs> so, like good use of props and also the scrim. And we do kind of get a little bit of a story moment here. Jimmy is really depressed over his brother dying because he is also an alcoholic. And Tommy shows up for a brief moment again and helps out Jimmy after he's like basically drunken himself too much because he's depressed and it's raining. And I think this is when he decides to stop being an alcoholic, which to be fair to him, he actually sticks with that through the show, which I was truly shocked by because... I thought he would not. I just barely knew he was an alcoholic. It was like a classic case of tell not show because in at least most of the first act, people are just like, oh, he drinks. And he's like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I can't keep a job. (laughs) He doesn't do anything that seems very. I took it to be like, that's why he punched the dude. And that's also why we. Yeah. Absolutely, when he like got but, fired from his first job. Well, the thing is, like, when he punched the guy, that was when it shifted, and I was like, okay, he's an alcoholic. But when he got fired from his first job, I believe that they wanted it to seem like he was getting fired partially, at least because he's an alcoholic. But it was also because Francine was auditioning to sing at the bar that he was playing piano at. And he was like, oh, my God, this girl that's auditioning has the most amazing voice ever. And the owner of the bar was like, no you're nothing special. I don't like you. So he gets really mad and then starts yelling. Like it really didn't seem like, you know, up until the bar owner was like, you drink. It didn't seem like that's why Mm. he was fighting. I thought he was just like hotheaded and had an unhealthy obsession with Francine. Yeah, that's pretty true. Yeah. So we barely find out he's an alcoholic and then he decides to stop, which is kind of like how this whole show works. You find out something and then immediately changes. Yeah. And then a simple thing like that is in Madame Veltri's apartment and she's criticizing Alex for playing without passion. And that's also when he opens up about how he grew up in Poland. The Holocaust happened, but he got sent away from Poland and he like has a lot of guilt for surviving when none of his family did that's also just like more indicative of how much the show is trying to like deal with issues like the holocaust survivor's guilt alcoholism um racism and it just doesn't have the room to actually give any of those full breadth like i feel like if they actually had centered the show on a singular character or character pairing i think all the characters could be interesting but mm-hmm. the way they're written now, they are not that interesting because we just don't know anything about them besides the broad strokes they're painted with. Yeah. I feel like a simple thing like that could maybe be a good standalone number. Like, I feel like it kind of was interesting commentary on, like, old and new world. Madame Beltry is completely American. She got famous in America and, you know, the whole like individuality and everything. So she's just like play with passion. Like it's fine if you get like one wrong note or something, but you have to like really make people feel the music. And then Alex kind of like plays very proper. Like he's like always on beat, no mistakes. I felt like it was kind of a good lead in into his past and everything. But I cannot tell you how the song goes. Like, I have no idea what even, like, the hook of a simple thing like that sounds like. You stand alone below the towering hills And all at once you find that you are singing The echoes rise 
And then, very short fall, which is characteristic of New York, and we are in winter. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like this section almost is well-written. Each of these songs could have been Act 1 endings, and then they kept going. But we start with, can you hear me? This is the Grand Central one um, where he's like, oh, if you stand there and I whisper something here, you'll be able to hear me. Which this was actually kind of a good song, I think. I think this is Lynn's best contribution at any rate. And Jimmy is like whispering into the bridge. But he's saying things that like he wouldn't want to say to Francine. Yeah. Because he's just kind of like, I'm a mess. And then at the end, he's like, did you hear that through the bridge? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, I guess it didn't work at rush hour. They make it obvious with the staging that she did hear him because he he is very vulnerable. And he's also like, I'm a mess, but I really like you and I would like to be in your life forever and like stuff like that. You can tell she hears it, but she doesn't want to like, I guess, embarrass him maybe. Or maybe she's just like uncomfortable with the idea also. The bridge being this like secret New York local thing was also very 1950s. When he was like, (laughs) I'm going to take you to a spot where only the true New Yorkers know about. I thought he was going to like, you know, in Friends with Benefits when Mila Kunis takes Justin Timberlake up to like a deserted fucking rooftop and she's like, (laughs) yeah, no one else has access here and I can get some fucking peace and quiet. Like I thought that's what was going to happen because Mm -hmm. I feel like that is the kind of sanctuary New Yorkers want today. But he was like, no, let's go to Grand Central. I was like, oh my God, Jimmy, 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 why? So the set occasionally does cool things. Like most of the set is just scaffolding. When we walked in, you were like, you know, this show is set in New York City because of how much scaffolding there is. And there would never be this much scaffolding for any show that was not set in New York City, which is true. In this part, like in Grand Central, there are people walking around with like briefcases and stuff. And then they turn and they hold up their briefcases in like an arch all together and on the back of their briefcases has the sign to like the oyster bar and to like tracks six through ten go here or whatever so it looks like one of the this is also when like the woman is like holding up a big clock but then she flips over and it looks like a regular hat case and she like gets on a train yeah so a lot of like multi-purpose props there which i thought were all very cool i think we just prefer like smart scrappy set pieces to giant but poorly utilized ones in the rest of the show yeah so this is our first act one finale fake out yeah it wasn't peak finale vibe it was like 85 percent finale vibes and act one had gone on forever so i was like it's gotta end When I heard you sing, it changed everything. Can you hear me? Could you ever be with a wreck like me? Could you hear me? Could I ever be a part of the song inside your next song was called happy endings and i was like this is the act one finale 
And it feels like a finale. This is the basically the opening night of the new Broadway show that Francine's in the ensemble with. And it's like a huge number with the whole company. What even is Let's Hear It For Me? It's her cheering for me now. It's just she's so excited to be on stage. She has like a future ahead of her because producer man has promised her that even if the show doesn't work out, that he will look out for her and make sure that she is able to find her next gig and stuff. And she's like, oh my God, my career's taking off. It is also from Funny Lady, the sequel to Funny Girl. This is our second finale fake out, but I'm going to argue that there's one more. Even though New York in the Snow is not a song, it's another transition scene. All the transition scenes have backing music and it's literally just like, it's the first snow in New York. All these couples and families are like running to Central Park or whatever, like making snow angels. And then Francine and Jimmy see each other and meet up again. And I felt like it could have been one of those background music book scenes that ends an act still. Yeah. They see each other. They start kissing. I thought that was when the curtain was going to come down because that would also make sense. Yeah. But no, we have a whole other scene back at Jimmy's shitty apartment. Actually, no, it's Francine's apartment. They actually hook up. Yeah. I guess that kiss in the snow really did shit for her. This was the most fucking chaotic act one ending that I've ever seen. They threw three things at you at the same time. And I was just yeah. like, what the fuck is happening? Like, I literally could not comprehend what was happening. The actual finale, Marry Me, is so weirdly placed because I really can't gauge how close they are. That lead up in their relationship is like he punches that guy and then it seems like they don't talk for a while and then he takes her to the whispering bridge. She hears what he says, but she doesn't really reciprocate and they don't, they're not like affectionate or anything. And then now we are at the proposal. They're in bed together and he just breaks out into Marry Me, which is also an existing song from the rink. That one is actually not cut from the rink, which I was like, you're just using actual songs now? Like, what? So <laughs> that was a thing. He pulled a full Orpheus. They, like, hooked up, and he just gets up, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, marry me. And then she is just like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. No one would accept us. And then someone shows up at her door, never explains who it is. He thinks that there's something going on. I don't know what's happening. She's throwing him out of her apartment for some reason. Literally, it, like, it wasn't the producer guy. Like, maybe it was someone else that's been courting her. Yeah, and she was just like, oh, he's know. here to celebrate. And I'm like, but who is he? And, and then, why is he here at like 6 a.m.? Then she also like chases Jimmy out of her apartment. Like, she's literally throwing things at him from her second story apartment. Because he's and, already downstairs. And he's like yeah. in the snow pulling up his pants. <laughs> And then Madame Veltri is like, y'all need to shut the fuck up. It's like 6 a.m. And because everyone's living so closely together, the whole neighborhood now knows that Jimmy has just proposed to her. And they're all like, but do you love him? And she's just like, yes. And I'm like, do you? It was so confusing. And then he runs back up the two flights of stairs that he just ran down. And she accepts. And then they're on a balcony. And then act one ends. Yeah. It was a lot. That was so confusing. <laughs> Marry me, I really love you, see we can't go wrong, that diamond in the star I could pay monthly for, come on and marry me, marry me. 
starts with kind of just like a throwaway opener, I feel like. Along Comes Love. It's Francine is singing at the radio station because she got that job with the producer that she met. And she sounds great. She's getting her name out there. And yeah. Jimmy is like, that's my wife. So you're like, okay, they truly got married then. Yeah. So this is also spring of the next year. So it's been at least like three or four months. All of a sudden, Francine is low-key famous. Then we have the book scene where Jimmy runs into Jesse and Mateo and they decide to work together as a band because they've sort of all been rejected by that one booking agent guy who won't book them either because they're not white or because they're fuck-ups. They get together and then they pass by San Juan Supper Club and he's like, yeah, like this old friend of mine. I feel like it's like an uncle kind of, like an unrelated uncle, mm-hmm. um, owns this place. And then he goes in and they end up playing a set. And he's just kind of like, you're Irish and you're owning a place called the San Juan Supper Club. Like, let me run this place for you. And then he changes the name. <laughs> let the me, name another before. Irish man, run this place for you. I mean, to be fair, he takes out the the San Juan-ness. So good <laughs> yeah. for him. <laughs> I feel like this is also happens because jimmy sees francine being successful and he's kind of like i need to do something with my life now that i am a married man with a wife who definitely should leave me but yeah and then i think it's just him with francine in bed together or something and he's just sort of reflecting on how his life is actually working out and he sings a quiet thing and this was also another one of those songs where it was like a very strange moment because he just starts singing it out of nowhere meanwhile francine is becoming bigger as like a radio star and the producer man gordon kendrick is taking her out to things like the opera again kind of confusing what his purpose is here because he seems still like kind of a nice guy who's just like looking out for her i guess francine is now doing things that are too classy for jimmy or something i feel like that was the point of this scene somewhere here like the tour gets announced she tells jimmy about it and jimmy is like not really happy but she's not sure why and then she goes to the club to ask him which leads to the next song so she goes to the club to be like are you not happy about my tour and Jimmy basically like mansplains how racism works to her and she gets really mad. And then he sings, sorry, I asked, which again, I feel like is clear that it was written for another show because I actually like the song. I do too. He's like, is he handsome? Or let me put it this way. Do you love him? Is he single? Or let me put it this way. Will you leave me? And then he keeps on going in those like kind of couplets, which I thought like they fit together really well and I just feel like the kind of like subtle asking and the let me put it this way and then the direct Mm -hmm. asking was just like it was a good song in my opinion. But like one, I feel like him assuming that she was cheating on him was like super out of the blue because she really wasn't giving the producer guy like much reciprocation and he hadn't really hit on her super hard. In the overarching plot of the show where it's like young ingenue gets picked up by a pot producer dude like i could understand why they thought this song would fit here but with the scene that's right there and with the character develop the little character development that we have seen i don't think it makes sense 
Sorry I Asked is a eh, not perfectly, but it's like basically a like set up to be like a verse, verse, chorus, verse song. So the last verse is supposed to hit you hard. And he says, would I like him? Or let me put it this way. Do I know him? Which really sounds more like a show where your wife is cheating with your best friend or something. Like it really sounds like this should have been in betrayal. It just does not make sense in a show where you think your wife is like basically sleeping with her boss and you don't like him. I agree. I think she just storms out of there as she's like, all right, bye forever. Is she single? Or let me put it this way. Will you leave me? Well, go. And then she shows back up to the studio. This is the scene where she finds out her tour gets canceled and she ends up accidentally punching the producer in the nose. But luckily, she is about to sing a hit song. So the fact that she pissed him off doesn't matter. The song is But the World Goes Round, which is like a really famous song from the movie. Actually, she sings a piece of it to Jimmy in this book scene of I Love Music or something where she talks about her dad. Her dad was dying and she didn't know because she was on the USO tour, so she couldn't go and help take care of him. That was like a song that they used to sing with each other. And she was telling Jimmy like, oh, I love music because I have to keep singing this song. Otherwise, I just keep remembering how I wasn't there for my dad. It was weird also because... They kind of try to like lace it into her motivation as a character. And she's just like, I have to keep singing because if I don't singing, I miss my dad more. And like, that's great. But there's not really a point in this show where anyone's trying to stop her from singing or she has to make a decision to not. Most of the time she's making a decision between like taking this gig or that or like Mm -hmm. singing in the city or that. I don't know. It was just like a weird backstory that didn't really inform us on why her character was making the decisions that she was making yeah pretty much but you know the crowd goes wild she becomes super famous and then we randomly cut to this was such a weird sequence also so this is alex mann and it's not clear what this is but we found out later that it's his juilliard audition and he's playing and at the same time mateo's dad comes home And again, remember, this was a very ambiguous relationship. I don't even think Mateo's dad says a single word this whole show. I think it becomes clear in retrospect that Mateo's dad is abusive towards his mom. And so Mateo, you can see, is trying to like stop him from getting to his mom. But then they just have a fight and then he like punches down his dad and then they he leaves with his mom and it's like okay i guess that story is resolved question mark when we barely knew it was a conflict to begin with i guess he's making enough money playing the drums at the san juan supper club to get his mom a new apartment yeah is music money love when they are on nbc yeah so we are back in the San Juan Supper Club, and somehow they got famous. I was like, all right, people are just getting famous all, all over the well, place, you know? The major chord, I guess. Oh, yeah. They perform for NBC. This is just so sad because 
Jimmy's piano is facing away from the crowd. They're just like vibing to their instrumentals. And then Jesse or somebody is like, you have to sing. And Jimmy's just like, me, I'm like, I'm the fucking piano, I don't sing. And Jesse's just like, you've been singing this whole fucking show. So he... <laughs> he's sitting at the piano he plays and the piano is on this like elevated stage and then he basically like hops down like a three feet platform on to the regular stage where the microphone is he sings a verse then he like hops back onto the (laughs) elevated stage and then he like plays the important parts of the piano and then he hops back down the stage and sings another verse and then he hops back onto the elevated stage and plays piano and like the hops are they're strenuous they were real hops the piano and the microphone were really far from each other and i just feel like i watched colton ryan just test the elasticity of his suit pants for three (laughs) minutes straight but music money love decent song it's like it's a fine song music money love the notes I'm singing of I guess the laugh's on me You get two, but rarely three I got my music I got some money Almost a Why was Francine leaving again? I don't remember exactly, but I think it was just like a mix of she needed a new start from her relationship and the producer guy was still like bad mouthing her and she felt like LA was maybe like more receptive to black musicians. But I guess like she's looking for a fresh start. And then Tommy, good old Tommy. Well, I guess first we have Light, which honestly I don't I don't know. It's sort of combined, but Light is the Manhattan Henge song. They're like, oh my God, look at that light. Like you could only find this in New York ever. I guess before they could build the buildings as tall, there probably was more light. They're getting to Rockefeller in this show though. So it's the last of the light. (laughs) There it goes. That's why they have to enjoy it it now. They're singing a song about it because they're like, we're about to lose it. Yeah. And then Tommy comes back and he's like, bitch, don't go to L.A. L.A. sucks. New York is great. And then she's like, "Okay, fine. This is why I thought the script was funny, because Tommy's in the first or second ish book scene. And he's so funny. He also has this line when Francine is like, you're Irish. I'm black. I can't date you. And then Tommy's like, it's New York. Everyone and everyone's natural enemy live next to each other. And we all learn how to live with it. And Tommy honestly seems like the only guy that truly loves New York here. <laughs> he is the only person who like says true things about why he likes it and not bullshit things. <laughs> but he shows up and then he convinces her to stay and maybe check out the club. So she does like with her fucking suitcase. I'm, I'm guessing she was probably like, okay, I'll check it out and then I'll leave. I don't know what the train mm-hmm. schedules were like back then. Maybe there's one every hour that went to LA. So, or just wanted to make it very clear to Jimmy that she almost left. She's like, I want you to know that I was this close to leaving. She's yeah, also they, definitely flying. You know, I I literally forgot that airplanes existed back then. <laughs> I like forgot what time period we were in. 
Jimmy's friends basically like shove him out of the club to talk to her. Oh, and then before this, Jesse has that little rude ass snake speech where he talks about how he actually knew Francine from the USO days. Mm -hmm. And he's like, all of the colored soldiers had to sit at the back of like the performance and the people in the front row were actually the Nazi prisoners. And I was like, this is what we're fighting for. Then Francine came up and just walked all the way to the back and like performed it straight at all of us. Cause I don't think we mentioned this, but Jesse's also black and he's like her, she's worth fighting for. And we're like, okay, Jesse. It was very <laughs> ambiguous for me as to like if he was trying to tell Jimmy like you better work harder to get her back or if he just had this like buried crush on Francine this whole time. This was the part where I was like this is bad world building because I'm like it, it literally is like the last minute of the show before the final number and it feels like it tries to shove that in to make Francine look even cooler. And also, Jesse has now known Francine for, I don't know, half a year. And the fact that that hasn't come up before now is also suspicious. Anyways, she shows up, though, and she's basically just like, can I sing here? He's like, yeah, that way I don't have to fucking sing. They sing New York, New York, finally. I have a huge problem with this finale, and I really hope if they change one thing before it opens that this is what they change, because... It's cool. The orchestra in the pit gets raised up to stage level. And then Francine and Jimmy like walk onto the orchestra pit from the stage. Jimmy gets on the piano because he's the pianist. And Francine has a mic in the orchestra pit waiting for her. And she belts out New York, New York. But the stage is dark. It's empty. There's not even a red curtain. There's not even like an LED New York, New York sign behind her, like the Juliet one. Like I feel like Mm -hmm. even if they put a big ass light sign of New York, New York, it could have been better. I mean, they literally have that sign too, because it was there in the beginning. Yeah. And also like New York, New York to me, at least like the Sinatra version that we all know, kind of sounds like a kick line song. Like, yeah, I know does. it's not the most danceable number, but they definitely could have had the ensemble doing something. But no one's on there. They don't have a sign. They don't even cover the stage so that we're not looking at it. And because we were in the mezzanine, like it's kind of hard to see her because like she was so far in front of the stage and we just had a perfect view of center stage so we really had to like sit up and see her and like my natural eye line is still downstage and fuck all is there yeah which is not how you end a show like it was (laughs) so boring and slow and i don't even think it was a better cover of new york new york than the ones we know already Yeah. You know what? When I was watching the show, what I expected to happen on stage during New York, New York is that it would just be like a casual city scene, like all of the New York in the summer rain and fall or whatever the fuck. Like, Mm -hmm. I just thought there would at least be some businessmen walking behind her with briefcases. That would be so easy to add right now. Like, just fucking add it. Obviously, you want to end on the song New York, New York, but like, at least give it a little bit more flash. Yeah, I can't believe they managed to ruin that as a number. If they just had her center stage 
with a mic stand and nothing fucking else, it would have been better than what they did. I feel like it was so hard to ruin New York, New York, and then they did it. I mean, like, even if you wanted to have the whole, like, orchestra pit thing, like, just having Jimmy on it is already, like, kind of cool. And then put her center stage with, like, a spotlight. And maybe a just like change. Or, like, even just, like, something like Carnegie Hall behind her, you know, just to be like, look, she's made it. Mom! Anyway, that is New York, New York. I walked out of the show and I told you, I was like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they should have made it more like Cats, where every person gets like an introduction (laughs) song and then maybe they have a competition where they get to fight for who goes to cat heaven. So there's just like no real forward momentum. And when you have no real forward momentum and you also have five different plots, then you just feel like you're sort of stuck in the middle of like, what the fuck is happening? I was literally like, you know, I really didn't understand why Jesse Green put some like it hot as a critic's pick, but now I kind of do because this is so much worse. (laughs) I really feel like this is not going to go very far in Tony nominations. I honestly can't really think of anything. I am so curious to see the reviews because there were multiple people that said this is better than Some Like It Hot, which I was shocked by. I do think probably tourists will like this a lot. Look, I would not be mad if Colton Ryan got a nomination, but everything else I feel like, no. Yeah. Only because he played all the instruments, not because he was that good. (laughs) A score is only eligible if more than 50% of it was composed for this specific show. And I don't know how they're going to fall on that. By the time we release this, Tony nominations will be out. So people will know about this. There was like two, three dance numbers. And I feel like they were just like, you know, like you said, like the one that we like, Wines and Peaches, the set is doing most of the work. So like... If there's nothing else, yeah, but some like a hot and Juliet will get dance. Shucked might not get it. Kimberly yeah. might not get it. Probably Neil K-pop Diamond might for get dance. It. Did Neil Diamond have dance? I don't, I don't think he danced, but people dance. Like that girl that strutted her whole song. <laughs> I prefer the hunks dancing to anything in this show. I actually shockingly prefer probably Cinderella as a whole to this show. Yes, um, absolutely. But I actually think I did prefer this slightly to Neil Diamond. Here's the thing. Neil Diamond, we're going to read it soon, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Not a strong plot because he's just a white man and he really doesn't go through a lot of trial and tribulations compared to all of the jukebox musicals that we've seen recently, like Donna Summer and Cher and everything. So weak plot, but that's nobody's fault. It's his life. (laughs) But at least I wasn't suffering. I just feel like this show was so confusing and slow. And the songs were so choppy because they were clearly not for this show that like, 
I genuinely felt like I was in agony. I just feel like the show has a lot of promise where if they had just done like an out-of-town tryout or worked on it a little more, it could have been a really good show. Whereas I don't think Neil Diamond could have been that much better than what it is now. No, I actually feel like they would have to either rewrite the plot or get new songs. I feel like it would be a big change to make this show good. It would not be like little tweaks. So at this point, I think they should just throw it out the window because they didn't work that hard (laughs) on it either. Everything is from something. I'm trying to see if there's other possible Tony nominations. Hopefully no book. (laughs) (laughs) That would be rough. Hopefully no directing. I don't think that was done very well either. Yeah. That is it for New York, New York, I guess. And we will be back in two weeks to talk about Shocked. So stay tuned for that. And we are pretty close to wrapping up this Tony season. Subscribe to us wherever you are following this podcast. And you can also get in contact with us on Twitter or Instagram at bottomlessbway or on email at bottomlessbway at gmail.com. And other than that, stay tuned for our next episode. Sometimes your dreams get broken in pieces, but that doesn't matter at all. Take it from me, there's still gonna be a summer, a winter, a spring. Friend starts treating you bad, but the world.